0: What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer, and this is the first episode of Control Freak. It's a new episode type where I'm going to be taking a look at the history of certain console brands, controller designs, over the console generations, and talking about my opinions of them and ultimately stating what my favorite and least favorite so far were, as well as what I may or may not be looking forward to in that brand's future iterations. So for those of you that may not know, I am a controller freak. Having had quite the obsession over the years on all the consoles that I've ever owned, just with this incessant drive to consistently refresh my controller, it's just something about it, guys. I love when they have new designs come out, new colors, I don't know what it is, themed after certain games, something about new controllers really gets me going. And now with the Xbox brand releasing its next consoles right around the corner in November on the 10th, and the fact that typically Xbox tends to be my preferred controller style design-wise, I figured what better way to kick off Control Freak than with the evolution of the Xbox controller. So every controller comes packaged with every console that is released, right guys? So we're going to start with the first console in the Xbox family, the OG Xbox that is is lovingly referred to uh, typically between me and my friends. The original Gangsta Xbox, November 15th, 2001, it launches, and with it, a controller that will go on to live in infamy as the Duke. Now, for those of you that may not know or may have somehow never heard of this, uh, the Duke gets its name from the fact that it is this uh, comparatively giant-sized controller uh, that came with the Xbox. Now, granted, in its own right, proportionately, the Xbox itself was pretty big. Uh, it It was pretty big. So, you know, you got this big controller to go with the big box. I get it. But at the same time, To be honest with you guys, there's a story here that many of you may not know. I didn't know as to why the Duke was actually, in fact, as big as it was. It wasn't necessarily Microsoft sitting there saying, ha ha ha, let's you know let Eastern gamers uh, have trouble holding our controller. No, because that was a part of the redesign that will come in the future that we'll talk about. So let's just kind of start at the beginning here. And we'll start with a man who goes by the name of Seamus Blackley. And if you don't know who Seamus Blackley is... Basically, we're going to refer to him as the father of the Xbox. He is the Xbox's daddy. Uh, He was a big person uh, in in Microsoft that pushed for Microsoft joining the home console video game market. He really was the one who gave the pitch to Bill Gates that convinced Bill Gates, "Okay, let's do this. You know, Seamus, you're in charge, man. Let me see what you got. Uh, But if we're going to do this, we're going to go big. We're going to do it the Microsoft way. Uh, And we're going to actually go to win this thing and not settle for third behind Nintendo and Sony. So Seamus Blackley, a huge, passionate gamer uh, as far as wanting to make sure that this is a winning console, right? So bottom line is we get into the production of the original Xbox. And coming off of the launch of the Dreamcast, which Microsoft was involved in uh, to an extent with their online interconnectivity and among other things... Uh, they had some experience uh, and kind of dipped their toes, so to speak, into the home console space by having that experience with uh, Sega and the Dreamcast. And coming off of that, Seamus, he really loved the VMU. And for those of you that may not know, the VMU was a very teeny tiny Game Boy-esque looking memory unit device that also added to the immersion of your gameplay on the Dreamcast. But this episode, we're all about the Xbox and its evolution. So, Coming from that experience, Seamus loved the Dreamcast controller design. He wanted something similar to that and was really kind of wanting to be the spiritual successor to the Dreamcast, uh, not just in control design, but also in his system. So specifically with the controller, uh, there was a little problem with, with right out the gate. And the problem was typically with controller designs, You design the body and the style of the controller before you design the motherboard, uh, essentially, the inner workings of the controller. Well, for the Xbox, uh, the original Xbox, this was uh, not the case. They designed the motherboard first, which in fact ended up being this giant motherboard. uh, And therefore, due to time constraints, Microsoft were backed into a corner and ultimately the designer of the controller, I uh, feel bad for. Her. She ultimately was put in a position to where she she had to make do with what she had, uh, which was make a design for a controller around the size of that motherboard. And we ultimately ended up getting the Duke. So what I'm going to do here is kind of just go through the different designs and different button placements and styles of the different controllers over the years, uh, obviously here starting with the Duke. So the Duke, it was obviously you know, sizable, but it was black, came with the black console and in the center of it, you had a nice little globe that had the Xbox logo, the X with the green bursting through, as well as the written out name of Xbox. And then you had uh, very interestingly, and in, in my opinion, uh, oddly placed uh, black and white buttons, which were at the top of where the face buttons sat. Uh, and speaking of those face buttons, uh, we had X, Y, A, and B as those buttons. And uh, they were different colors. Uh, You had red, yellow, blue, and green. And uh, no bumpers at this point in time. There were no bumpers on this controller. You just had the left and right triggers. Uh, At this point in time, the black and white buttons essentially were the bumper buttons. So the biggest change that Microsoft did, uh, as opposed to major uh, rival Sony and Nintendo, is instead of having symmetrical uh, analog sticks, which meaning they're right next to each other, how the Dual Shock has theirs. They went with the Dreamcast style of having the two non-symmetrical analog sticks placed on the controller uh, design. And the reason why, I thought it was pretty interesting, the reason why they did this is because, believe it or not, your natural uh, positioning for your thumbs when you go to hold a controller the way that they're usually designed are non-symmetrical, believe it or not. Uh, you think about it, next time you hold a controller... Test it out. Trust me. So very interesting. Uh, and it made sense. Uh, the big thing is they also had a, uh, start and back button. So all these years we had start and select. So Microsoft opted to go with back as opposed to select. But to be honest with you guys, uh, the D pad was also, uh, the start of what would be a long road ahead for Microsoft and trying to improve and update and reiterate and, uh, try to make a a very solid worthy D-pad over the course of its lifetime. Um, uh, Something that they're still improving upon to this day. Uh, So the D-pad was kind of basic, but probably one of the biggest things that was coming away from this controller that Microsoft did was it had a 10 foot breakaway cable. And I'm sure a lot of you younger gamers may be saying, huh, what do you mean a cable? Believe it or not, There was a time where there were no wireless controllers, where all controllers for every console were wired and tethered to the console themselves. And I don't know how many times it happened to me, and I'm sure many of you who had wired controllers, it happened to you more than once where either the dog or a family member is walking through the living room and does not pay attention to the wire of the controller, and they trip over it and yank your console out of the wall outlet or yank the controller out of your hand and the controller breaks or the console gets broken or some kind of craziness ensues and everybody hates each other for five days. Bottom line is Microsoft knew uh, that this was an issue. And the reason why is because the cords, the controller cables, were always so short, and the distance that most gamers sat from their TV, it was much further away than what these cords were accommodating. So they gave a 10-foot cable that was also breakaway. Not only were they giving the distance there for you, but they also gave, hey, just in case, just in case the dog or a family member wants to walk through the cord, we still got you covered. So that was a huge deal. Uh, So as far as the Duke is concerned, I'll give you my personal thoughts on each controller as we go through. And as far as the Duke to be honest with you guys, I personally never had any issues with the Duke. Uh, It was one of those things where I guess I can say I was blessed with bigger hands. So I was never one of those people that had much of an issue controlling uh, my games uh, with the Duke. Um, And also, the cool thing about the Duke is the fact that over the years, it's kind of become this nostalgic, uh, kind of cool piece of tech. And it was actually uh, nostalgic enough and big enough of a deal that it was officially uh, okayed by Microsoft and reissued. The Duke was, or the design of the Duke, for the Xbox One. And you can actually buy them now on Amazon. The last time I checked, they were fifty-nine forty-eight. They have them in multiple colors. Uh, black, red, even classic green. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. My favorite color is green. I saw that green Duke, and just for old time's sake, I was like, man, I kind of want to get that. But new consoles around the corner. Xbox Series X, PlayStation 5. I uh, can't really justify dropping 60 bucks on a controller for a system that I'm going to be upgrading to, although all the controllers on the Xbox systems are backwards compatible, so I could still use it on the Series X, but I digress. So if you still want to experience holding a Duke, playing with a Duke, there is that option for you on Amazon. But we are not done from a controller standpoint on the original Xbox generation. No, nope. no. The console that only lasted four years in the market had two major controller types. The Duke obviously launched with the system, and very quickly after a bunch of negative feedback from Eastern gamers who typically have smaller hands than us Western gamers over here in the states, Microsoft said, "Look, we got to do something about this. We got to listen to feedback. We we have to to make something that's going to be form fitting and comfortable for everybody." So ultimately, they created the controller. S. And the controller S, essentially, it was a smaller redesign of the Duke. And what it did is, ultimately, it had the black and white buttons moved from the top of the face buttons to underneath the face buttons. It had a slightly better D-pad. Uh, the logo in the center with Xbox and the green X, it was a little bit smaller in the center of the controller. Uh, the bottom line is, guys, it was a huge success. Uh, it was so huge. In fact, they released it over here in the U.S. Everybody loved it. Uh, And my personal thoughts on the controller S are this. Uh, It was amazing. Uh, At the point in time that it released, it was and became the greatest controller in gaming, in my opinion. Now, it was not just I that shared that opinion. I worked at GameStop at the time, guys. And me and my entire management team, including Mr. C from Gaming with Mr. C, has his own YouTube show over on uh, YouTube. Go check it out. Uh, We all... I uh, became very devout followers of the controller S, and we used to be devout followers of the DualShock 2 at the time. Uh, but the controller S was just absolutely an amazing piece of tech. Uh, it felt kind of weighty in your hand, and you just—it it just felt good when you were controlling Halo or controlling Project Gotham Racing or any of those classic original Xbox games. Voodoo Vince, I love that game, by the way. Just random call out there for that. Uh, Random tidbit of uh, cool Easter egg info here. Uh, The Controller S, what do most of you think that that S and that title stands for? Small, right? So did I. All this time, I assumed it stood for small. Well, it actually does not. Uh, Interesting fact, there was an inside joke between the designers of the Controller S and Seamus Blackley. They were basically poking fun at Seamus because he absolutely hated the Duke. He hated the design of it, absolutely abhorred it. And so just to kind of poke fun out of a mess with him, and because you can kind of easily get away with it, that everybody's going to assume it stands for small uh, by calling it Controller S, the S, in fact, stands for Seamus. So pretty interesting there, I thought. It was a pretty cool story. But uh, one thing I will also do on each controller for each console is I will just kind of go down and run down the different ones that I owned over the course of that generation. So for the original Xbox, I obviously own the original Black Duke. Uh, I own the original Black Controller S as well as a really cool Scorpion themed controller S that I just absolutely loved guys. It was this goldish color that was the dominant color of the controller. And it had a nice, just really sexy design uh, with Scorpion shooting a spear out. Uh, I just absolutely love that controller. I actually ended my Xbox four year generation uh, with that controller as my primary controller. And I also had a green uh, controller S that ended up coming with the green Halo-themed Xbox that they had uh, released. I ended up trading in my original black Xbox towards the green limited-edition Halo-themed green Xbox when it released. Uh, So those are the different controllers I owned over the course of the four-year history of the Xbox. So next, we're going to go back to 2005, dial the clock back, and see what Microsoft comes out with on their next console as far as controller design on the Xbox 360. Xbox 360, guys. So here we are, like I said, we flash forward four years, and we're going to be on the night of November 22nd, 2005, the Xbox 360 launches. And guess what? Obviously, you get a controller. Well, the biggest thing right out the box is the fact that it's wireless. Uh, That was a huge deal at the time. As I said, coming from the previous generation, Everything, the entirety of the existence of video games, essentially, for the most part, had been wired. That was the standard. Well, over the course of of time, obviously, technology improves, standards and expectations change, and we go into the 360 in 2005, we come out the box wireless. So that was uh, the the first huge uh, noticeable thing about it Um, from a design standpoint Essentially, it was basically taking what was great about the Controller S and just updating and improving on that. Uh, The the controller itself was a little bit curvier uh, where it sits in your hands. Uh, They completely removed the black and white buttons. And at this point is when we add the bumpers, the LB and RB bumpers. And uh, obviously, as I said, they did improve on minimally the D-pad. Still not perfect. Got quite a few years to go on that one. Um, we also had minor grips that get added to the analog sticks on the inside, the inner dipped circle part of the analog sticks, the top part where your thumbs kind of rest into kind of give you that little added grip. Um, and you know, ultimately the biggest game changer of this controller, in my opinion, was the addition of the guide button. That's right. That big globe of an X logo in the center of the controller. Now, for those of you that may have only been playing games in the past decade or so, The guide button, the PlayStation button, the home button, whatever you want to call it, it's kind of standard now at this point. I mean, this is 2005 when this launched, and we're now in 2020. So 15 years now, which is insane to think that it's been that long. But for 15 years, it's been standard to have that button. Well, before that, there was none. So at the time that this button was introduced, it was a huge deal. Guys, the biggest thing I remember talking about to Mr. C and Logan Phoenix of uh, the Graveyard Gamer, as well, his podcast, check it out on Anchor. The biggest thing I remember us talking about, which may sound crazy nowadays, is the fact that we, yo, we don't even have to get up off the couch to turn the to turn the console off or on. We can just hold the guide button and it turns on from the couch. As lazy as that sounds, it was just something cool at the time. It was never done before. And in addition to just being able to turn a system on and off, one thing that I thought was really cool about it from not just an uh, implementation point, but also from an aesthetic point of view, around the globe and around the guide button, there were four different segmented lights, essentially. And each one was designated as one, two, three, or four, ultimately indicating player one, player two, three, and four. Now, you got to think back in 2005 when this released Couch Co-op, was still a pretty big thing. So everything wasn't online only. People still played couch co-op. And I get it. There's still a hardcore group nowadays that still loves couch co-op, prefers couch co-op. But back then, it was still kind of the standard. And that was a big deal. That was actually really cool to be able to look at your controller and it would tell you, hey, boom, you're you're lit up on number two, number three, so on and so forth. So that was just kind of cool visually uh, as well as just from an implementation standpoint. I really appreciated that. But then you think about from the... Interactivity from a player standpoint and what the guide button does for you within the context of the UI, the user interface. So outside of just being able to turn the system on and off, once you get into the dashboard, as it was known uh, and became to be known as, of the Xbox 360, obviously at this point you press the guide button and it brings up uh, everything for you basically. You can go through different tabs, you can go through your friends list, you can scroll down and look at all kinds of different things. You get achievements with the new achievement system now that you can press and hold when the achievement pops and it'll give you the description Lots of cool different things uh, that you could access just from pressing that button. And from that basic launch of that button, we are where we are now uh, with those different buttons on the different consoles, as I said, uh, between the PlayStation button and the home button on many other remotes uh, for just TVs and other electronic devices and uh, just everywhere you look, there's an influence there. So... I personally, the other big thing, talking about the fact that it was wireless out of the box, uh, it gave you two different options really to choose from. You could either A, actually three options. You could stay plugged up uh, to charge your rechargeable battery pack uh, to the console, which, well at that point, what's the point of having a wireless controller if you're going to play while you're staying still plugged in and tethered to the console? Or... You could buy AA batteries all day, every day, every time you ran out of battery life. Uh, if you had excessive use or if you gamed a lot, uh, it's a lot of AA batteries to go through. Or you had the option to uh, purchase different uh, rechargeable battery packs that came with rechargeable stands uh, that you could then place the cons or the controllers into, and they would charge them there. Personally, that was my preference. I preferred to buy the rechargeable battery packs and the stands um, as opposed to having to, uh, in the moments of a gameplay session, switch out AA batteries or have to hook up to a wire and tether myself. Uh, I know that uh, everybody has their different preference. Uh, Mr. C, again, uh, I know his preference are AA batteries. I know uh, Logan Phoenix, his preference is the way the PlayStation does it with a uh, built-in, non-removable rechargeable battery pack. So everybody has their personal opinions, uh, and that's fine. Uh, But for me personally, I was uh, and am a fan of the rechargeable battery packs uh, with the stands that you can kind of interchange so I can have one charging while the other is being used. Now, ultimately, my personal thoughts on the Xbox 360 controller when looking back at it, uh, the absolute, again, uh, greatest controller to game with at that time. you take the Controller S, you improve on that. If the Controller S was my preferred gaming controller at the time, and you improve on that, obviously, the consistency is there. It's going to stay. Yo, this is the greatest way to play is with the 360 controller. Just the way that it felt in your hand the way that the guide button implemented all these different options to you. Uh, ultimately, it was it was just a beautiful piece of hardware and uh, one that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed using in the many, many adventures uh, and online sessions of Halo and many other things over the years, over the course of that console's eight-year life cycle. Now, in that eight years, which controllers did I own for the 360. Obviously, I owned the white controller that came with the launch console. And over the next few years, I did purchase a red 360 controller. Uh, I ended up getting a black one that came with my Elite console. I did purchase a 360 Elite a few years into the console's life cycle. And then my favorite controller of the entirety of the generation was one that was kind of had sentimental value to it, which gives it a little bias uh, edge in in this uh you know here but that's okay it was a green custom-made controller uh from my brother-in-law uh colin he had made this for me he's actually good with stuff like that and can you know create his own controller and move stuff around he just gets the pieces and builds it and boom there it is so one christmas uh, that's he had surprised me with that as a custom made by him uh, green 360 controller because uh, again as i said earlier my favorite color is green he knows this obviously so i thought it was really cool So that was the different controllers that I owned over the course of the eight-year life cycle of the 360. So now let's go see what Microsoft's got up their sleeves going into 2013 and the very controversial launch of the Xbox One. As I stated, guys, controversy was huge and swirling around the Xbox One at its launch in November of 2013, uh, the 22nd of November in 2013 to be exact. Uh, If you weren't around or didn't pay attention back then, DRM, or Digital Rights Management, was the song of the day, so to speak, as far as crying heresy uh, towards Xbox and really set them up for a downward path, I feel like, that they still haven't fully gotten off of since then. But uh, we're here to talk about controllers uh, specifically. And with the Xbox One controller, uh, when it launched, you know, I feel like Microsoft did the same as they did from the Controller S to the 360 controller, and they just took that 360 controller and said, okay, everybody loves this. How can we update it, modify it, refine it even more? And that's what they did. Uh, obviously, it's wireless out the box. No questions asked at this point. Now, they did take away some of the curviness of the 360 controller for aesthetic reasons. Now, it still did have some curves to it, but for form-fitting reasons, they they tried to downsize that curvature. Uh, they did add a border in the form of what is a... I would consider it's kind of hard to explain verbally, but there's kind of a line that separates the guide button, uh, which is resting on its own kind of depressed level of the controller plastic. Uh, They did eliminate the player number indicators on the guide button. And the reason why I will say they did this, in my opinion, is because by 2013, eight years later after the launch of the 360, couch co-op had already kind of moved on. And at this point, like I said, it was it was nowhere near uh, as standard as it was back in 2005. At this point, most people had access to broadband internet connection and were mostly playing online. So at that point, there was no reason to put money into designing a controller and building a controller with those extra lights and functionalities if there wasn't a demand for it. Uh, they ultimately... Replace the start and back buttons. Now, the buttons are still there, but the names and the logos on the buttons are, are different at this point. So with the Xbox One is where Microsoft started using the view and menu buttons. Uh, oh. The one button being kind of the hamburger that you're used to seeing is what I call it the three lines on the computer. And the other being kind of a two windows, one inside of another Uh For their start and select, uh, personally, is where I wish they would just... So why can't we just all be start and select? That's classic gaming. But anyways, uh, now they have also more visually defined face buttons in their X, Y, A, and B buttons by having the letters themselves be the colors that they were. uh, Meaning, so used to, the A button was green. And it was kind of like a, a silhouette of the letter A for the last couple of controllers. Well, in this one, it's now... The letter itself is A uh, on, on kind of a black background. B is red, so far and so forth. Uh, instead, instead of having those you know shadowy uh, letters there, I guess they figured they would go with a more pronounced, uh, dominant-looking um, letter to call out what the uh, face buttons were. Uh, again, you got your analog sticks that are still uh, on console number three, non-symmetrical, and they did get uh, some upgraded grips uh, within the analog sticks themselves, like the little dips where your thumbs go into. Uh, The triggers and the bumpers uh, became a lot tighter, and they were more responsive, and you got more feedback off the triggers. And the D-pad was Microsoft's best yet. It's their best attempt so far in the console race at this point. And uh, ultimately, it launched with a very, very great, in my opinion, controller. And uh, I don't really think that, you know, it could get any better and then guess what? They go and have an updated version released pretty quickly uh, within the launch of the console. And this new design, it included the 35 millimeter headphone jack. Uh, you had raised grips in the back of the controller, which, believe it or not, they actually do uh, actually um, do their job. And they're they're supposed to help improve and cut down on the slippage of uh, the controller in those hands that some may have sweatier hands than others. And you get into a, a heated game of Fortnite or Call of Duty and you know, your controller's slipping around. It can screw up your uh, performance. And so therefore, the, the grips, believe it or not, uh, even though they're not as pronounced as, say, rubberized grips, uh, which they do give options for later, they still work. But uh, they don't have any elevated separation anymore now on the plastic around the guide button. Uh, it's just kind of like a indentation of the one piece that covers the face of the controller. Uh, and then there was further tweaking that was done to the D-pad and uh, improved grips on those analog sticks as well. Uh, My personal thoughts on the Xbox One controller, Uh, (laughs) uh, no lie, guys, here we go again, Uh, consistency. And again, I just think that they took the best controller in the market and improved on it, and then even right out the gate, improved on it from the launch controller to the updated version that is out there now. And I personally feel it's the best controller uh, that a gamer can game with uh, at this point in time. Uh, it's just an absolute uh, wonder to, to play with, and I can't imagine gaming uh, with those longer gaming sessions and adventures uh, that I have over the past seven years with any other controller. Uh, I do love my DualShock 4, uh, no hate, but uh, my, my preference is definitely I still feel the Xbox One uh, current controller still has the best uh, feel uh, to it and, and is uh, number one in my book. Now, I will say that ultimately I owned uh, these different controllers of the Xbox One. Uh, the Day 1 2013 edition that was black uh, that came with the console. If you purchased and pre-ordered the console and got it on Day 1, you got a special Day 1 2013 message that was in green lettering on the controller. Uh, I also had a extra controller that was a base, just a basic black controller. Uh, my first non- Uh, with a console controller, was a Lunar White GameStop exclusive controller with rubberized grips. Really, really cool. And over the years, Xbox Live Design Labs is one of the greatest things that somebody like me who loves controllers uh, could have asked for. It's where you can go in there online and custom design your own controller. And I did this twice over the last seven years, guys. Uh, I did one that was more prominently green and focused around the green color scheming uh, that is my favorite color. And then blue is my second favorite color. And so therefore, my second controller was all about the blue and the blue analog sticks and just the different shadings that I could use uh, within that color scheme. But my current controller is the one that I most recently got for this past uh, holiday from my wife, and that is the Phantom White Controller. And it's actually really sexy, guys. It's uh, you're looking from top to bottom. The top half of the controller is kind of a frosty clear, and you can see the inner workings of the controller, the motherboard, and the kind of golds that are inside and on those uh, motherboard pieces. Really accent, really nicely through that frosty clearness of the controller, and then the bottom half of it is a full, full-on frosty white. Uh, And I've just, I've really thoroughly enjoyed using it. White analog sticks, uh, definitely, definitely uh, enjoy my Phantom White controller and the Xbox One in general. But uh, they did have a special edition for you hardcore gamers out there, you e-gamers that maybe want a little bit more control on the actual physical customization aspect of your controller. And that was in the Xbox Elite controller. Uh, The first one that Microsoft put out, it launched in October 27th, 2015. Uh, They've had a Series 2 that launched since then on November 4th, 2019. And as I stated, really, these controllers are uh, for professional gamers. If you're a professional gamer using the Xbox, this is where you want to go. Uh, It's pretty much got interchangeable everything: analog sticks, face buttons, D-pad, button sensitivity settings, trigger sensitivity settings, button mapping to multiple finger pads that are on the back underside of the controller. You can raise the height of the analog sticks. And also it comes in a pretty nifty case, too, uh, in my opinion. Um, But ultimately, it's it's really if you're willing to pay for it. Now, most Xbox One controllers, they can run you anywhere from 40 to 80 bucks. But the Elite controller, that's going to set you back for a buck $1.80, $180 for the newer Series 2, which the Series 2 will differentiate itself from the original with those adjustable tension thumbsticks, the adjustable size paddles, the rubberized grips around the whole back of the controller, and it actually has a built-in rechargeable battery with up to 40 hours of use at full charge. So, I mean, guys, my personal thoughts uh, on the Elite controller... I personally have never owned one series one or two uh, I just I could never justify purchasing one and to be honest when they both came out I had just gotten my own uh, new controllers to be honest uh, 2015 was right around the time when I got that lunar white gamestop exclusive and then this past November uh, I had just recently or I was I'd asked for and gotten uh, a month later the Phantom white controller so I, I wasn't going to I wasn't about to drop almost $200 on a controller uh, also at the same point. So if this is something that you guys are passionate about and uh, something that you think is right for you, then by all means, this is all for you. Uh, But for me, just wasn't it something for me. Um, But that is pretty much where we are in the current uh, available generations of Xbox controllers right now. But what does the future look like with the Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S? as far as from a controller standpoint. So both the Series X and the Series S are going to be launching on November 10th. And they both have the same exact controller as one another. Uh, And honestly, guys, I'll I'll put it out there. I'll be honest with you. Always be honest with you. To me, the controllers, they look just like the Xbox One controller, with just a few alterations uh and and that to me is a little disappointing and i'll get to that in a second so what do i mean all right so instead of having that depressional line going under the guide button as we had mentioned earlier in the redesign for the xbox one controllers uh, there is no line there is no separation it's just a flat plastic face top uh with the guide button right there slapped in the middle of the top of it the top center uh now one thing that they did add, which was a huge necessary addition, I think, and one thing that Sony beat them to uh, with the PS4, is they did add a share button, uh, which is now underneath um, the uh, center of the view and menu buttons and guide button. Uh, so I think that is, is crucial in today's day and age where, especially, you know, gamers like myself and I know Mr. C and Logan Phoenix, we love taking screenshots uh, all the time, constantly taking screenshots, game clips kind of necessary to have a dedicated guide uh, or a screenshot or, or share button as opposed to right now. Uh, I mean, I know that you can custom map it to certain buttons on your Xbox controller, but just to have that standard button there is, is really nice. Um, and ultimately, uh, the other biggest addition that I think was a huge plus that they've done is they've listened to the feedback and how amazing the D-pad is on the Elite controllers. And they've essentially given us the Elite Uh, It's D-pad, which is a huge plus. So, back in November of 2001, it's taken 19 years to get here, but we will finally have a Xbox controller at launch that has an amazing uh, D-pad. So, that is definitely a huge plus. Uh, I ultimately, as I said, I'm disappointed with it. Uh, Until I get my hands on it, maybe I'll like the way that it feels. I, I don't know, but. I just, I really hate the fact that it doesn't look like much has changed from one generation to another. Now, again, you don't fix what ain't broke, but at the same time, they didn't do that, in my opinion, from the controller S to the 360, from 360 to the one. So, but they still, aesthetically, the design of the controller is different. So I don't understand why they couldn't still aesthetically change the design and shape of the controller potentially while still adding these additions to it. So, I don't know guys, uh, I may be completely different uh, as far as my opinion when I get my hands on a controller and I'm sitting there playing the medium and scaring the crap out of myself and I can't wait to tell you guys about that uh, once I do get my hands on a controller for the Series X, but ultimately only time will tell. So, that's kind of where we are looking at the future of the Series X and S. Now let's kind of take a moment to pause and I'll go through my favorite and my least favorite Xbox controller over the years. Without a question, guys, I'm gonna start with my favorite. And I—it's if you've been following the episode, uh, you, it's no secret that my favorite Xbox controller is the Xbox One redesign. Uh, the current model that we have right now, I think it's the best controller on the market. Uh, and it just is perfect, in my opinion. Um, it, the, the weight of it feels right. The button placement, analog stick placement, the trigger response, everything in my opinion just feels great and uh, I absolutely love it. Now my least favorite uh, over the course of the last 19 years, and this is by unfortunately kind of default, uh, I I can't say the Series X because I haven't actually touched it, played with it, um, you know, and experienced it yet. So I, I feel that's kind of unfair to put that out there, as disappointed as I am from an aesthetic point of view uh, with that controller. So out of the controllers that I have played with over the last 19 years, my least favorite would have to go kind of by default in a sense to the Duke. And again, as I stated earlier, I never had any issues personally with the Duke. It was just the fact that out of all these other controller options, it's it's never going to beat the controller S or the 360, or the One. You know what I'm saying? So it just kind of, it, it's the Duke. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with my favorites and least favorites, Xbox controllers over the years, as well as my thoughts and opinions and kind of the evolution of the Xbox controller. So let's go close out the episode. Thank you for listening to this first episode of Control Freak. I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on all generations of Xbox controllers. What are your favorites? What are your least favorites? Do you like what Microsoft is doing with the Series X controller? Do you hate it? Do you wish it looked different? Join the crew of the SS Gamer by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming 365 at gmail.com or on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming or on Twitter at lostatseagaming the number one. Again, thank you for listening. And until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.